kind of old-fashioned cop who preferred working the streets and making arrests to taking tests toward promotion. He was the closest thing New York had to a dirty Harry. This is One Tough Podcast on the OG Podcast Network. Here's your host, Bo Deedle. Welcome to One Tough Podcast. I'm joined here, like always, with my man, Carlo, the producer. Today we have a really special show. Because this guy is not just a United States congressman. He is a personal friend of mine for a lot, a lot of years. And how it all started with Congressman Peter King from the 2nd District was I decided I wanted to try to be a congressman. At that point, Joe Adabo died. He was the congressman. He was the head of the Defense Appropriation Committee. He was a Democrat. My uncle used to take care of him all the time. In Ozone Park, my uncle Joe, tip and arrow. The Italian side. Right. So he used to feed uh, Congressman Adabo a lot of good uh, support, put it that way. And he was owned a big plumbing company. And I met Joe Adabo at weddings, at my, my niece's weddings and all that. And then all of a sudden, when I was 12 years old and 62, he says, Bo, would you like to become a page boy? And I said, well, what's a page boy? And I just it wasn't in my, in my DNA to go to Washington and be a page boy. So now fast forward. I become a cop and everything else in all my career. And then 1985, I have to retire. And then 1986, my congressman dies in office, Joe Adabo. So they have a special election. So my brother Alan got arrested. So he says, hey, Bo, you could be a congressman. I said, what does a congressman do? He goes, don't worry about it. You could be one. <laughs> I meet this guy, Rush Shrifa. And then uh, 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 Rush Shrifa introduced me to, uh, uh, what the hell was his name, the head of the Republican committee at that time, Lee Atwater. Oh, okay. So I go meet Lee Atwood in Washington, and he goes, all of a sudden, he goes, Mr. Uh, uh, President Reagan wants to see you tomorrow morning at 10 o'clock in Washington. So they did a little background on me, and they saw that I had a, a good uh, uh, name recognition. I was on a cover of New York Magazine prior to that, and everybody knew about Bo Deedle, and now I'm going to run for Congress. And I didn't know what anything about what I was going to do. Lee calls me to Washington. I sit in the, I sit in the uh, National Republican Committee there. And the next day I meet with this guy, Casper Weinberger, who was the defense secretary. <laughs> He's telling me about strategic defense initiative, ASTAT satellites. Uh, so now I go for two weeks, Peter, to Washington. I'm just giving you a, a foundation right. of everything. And then Peter will come into play. So <laughs> next thing is we uh, – we go there. I go for two weeks. I stay in a Holiday Inn in Washington, and I then decide that well, I know enough about it. I go to uh, I go to um, the New York Times. Max Frankel puts in the New York Times. Bo Dito was a great detective, great cop. He has no business running for Congress because he doesn't know what he's doing. I said, with all exception, Mister Frankel, I call him up. I said, I know you don't like Republicans. I said, I'm running as a Republican and conservative. I said, why don't you give me an opportunity? He goes, we called you. You didn't answer uh, the call with, my, with Star was his name. And I said, you tell Star he's full of crap. I said, he never called me. He goes, you want to come over? I said, yeah. He goes, 2 o'clock, you come. So I had my old sergeant with me, Billy Campbell. And I show up there with a briefcase. I put this big tape recorder on the table in the New York Times editorial. I hit the button, and I'm there. And all of a sudden, I start going in about the crime, about the crack <clears> problem, <throat> and about defensive initiative, the balanced budget. Graham Rugman, I thought it was a friggin' sandwich. That was the balanced <laughs> budget, budget thing, right? So next thing is, next thing is, I'm starting to whip out all these, all these things. And, and Max Frankel sitting there, the other guy... Uh, a star is sitting there like this. The heads are spinning two hours. I said, do you ever know what it feels like to get stabbed? You ever was a decoy getting mugged in Harlem, people hitting you on the head with bats and bottles, being rushed to the hospital, blood coming over? I said, that's what I did to protect the people of New York. And I know about this crack epidemic. My last case was 10 dead, eight children in East New York. We're facing this epidemic. You know, I did the whole deal. Next thing is the next day, they actually apologized to me in New York Times. And said they're not changing their endorsement from Flake, but I would make a formidable United States congressman. So I lost. I lost, I think, by 2,500 votes. Area was seven or eight to one Democrat registration. We almost pulled it off. Hence, Peter King. Peter <laughs> King was the controller of Nassau County. When I was running, Peter got on board my ship. Every fundraiser with my sister-in-law with curlers in their hair sitting there. <laughs> 
Peter was there. He was my biggest supporter in all, even though I lost, I'm a loser, but yet I didn't lose one thing. I didn't lose my respect and love for Peter King. And I followed his career and I was, I'm very supportive of him. And he's become what appears to be one of the greatest congressmen that we have. He fights for not just the people of his district, but he fights for all Americans. And he's a very, he weighs things out. That's what I like about him. He's not total conservative. He's not left. He's not right. He's a moderate congressman that believes in fiscal you know, strength, but also social inclusive. We've all learned we have to change with the times, and we all have changed. And I think that I've noticed with you, uh, Congressman King, is that you've really become a moderate a moderate in the sense that you're not so right-wing, where you weigh things out and you <clears> believe <throat> in that. And, uh, you know, one of the great things about Congressman King, he was the chairman of the Homeland Security uh, at one point. Uh, he then <clears throat> then went on to be involved with the Intelligence Committee. And probably Peter King, how many years are you the congressman? It's my 27th year. 27 wow. years. Wow. Holy macaroni. <laughs> but I'm going to tell you something, Peter. And every time, you know, when there's an issue of any kind of security or any kind of issue, and I call Congressman King and the people of his district, call Congressman King about an, int- uh, an issue, Congressman King answers him back. And whatever he could do for his constituents and the people of America, he votes that way. And he votes for the best for this country. And I'm very honored that you're here, Congressman King. Thank you, we, Bo. We've been doing this podcast. We're up to 61 now. This is episode 62. S- 62. Wow. And we've had everyone on here from some of the major corporate people, Ken Langone, everybody's been here. But you are special because I'm very honored. And I do respect your position. I do call you Congressman Peter King with all respect because you deserve all respect, Peter. Thank you, Bo. It's the longest introduction I ever got, but thank well, you. That was great. Okay. Hey, you're a great friend on your many years. And also that year in 86 when you ran for Congress, at least you had a close race. I ran for Attorney General that year to Bob Ravens and lost by 1.2 million votes. Not right. that I counted. <laughs> yeah, but, it, it, you know, I just, just ran for yeah. uh, uh, mayor of this right. great city, and I don't even, they didn't even give me a line. I was knocked off Democratic line. I tried to run as a Democrat because Langone and then uh, Steve Cohen says to me, the billionaire say, Bo, if you run as a Republican, we can't support you. Run as a Democrat. And I, I, I do truly believe you could be a Republican or a Democrat. Right. It's what you believe in the issues. And I am very fiscally conservative like you. Mm-hmm. We have to pay for what we got. We can't just give everything away. And hard work shouldn't be deterred. And that's the capitalism is the American dream right. for everyone. And you know what? We can't go so total left. And we all know our president very well. I know him 40 years, and I've called him a lion narcissist, <laughs> which he is. But with that said, I supported him. I support him now. I love President Trump, and I will be supporting him. I am supporting him because the alternative is so gone into another abyss. That's the only word I could use because if people don't realize, all right, he says things that we all don't like, we don't agree with, all Mexicans are thieves, rapists. You know, the problem with my president is he can't say, you know what, I'm sorry. All he's got to do is say, you know what, I thought about some of the things I said in the last couple of years, Mm -hmm. and I got to apologize to some people. I'll apologize to the Mexican people. They're hardworking people. Good family strong. Say something like that. Be humanized mm-hmm. instead of just beating people into the right. ground. What do you <laughs> feel about that, Peter? Yeah, first of all, I, I agree with you. I think uh, President Trump has done a very good job, certainly in my district, MS-13. He's really— Wiped uh, them out. Yeah, absolutely. They, they, uh, in the year and a half before he came in, they had 25 murders in my district alone. Since then, there's been zero. Since April of 2017, no, no murders at all within my district. He's done wow. a great job. Really done a great job, and ISIS overseas, he's crushed that caliphate over there. Done a great job. The economy is moving well, and he does have a tendency to say things that he should. Uh, again, it's not his style to apologize for anything. He just digs in. But he, uh, I, now, I think people somehow they give him a break to this extent is that uh, he speaks in metaphors, if you will. He just says, gets it out there. But he huge, the biggest, yeah. the hugest, yeah. and all this, this and that, and you know, he, and then when he says something that is not true, he doesn't have to come back and say, you know, I made a mistake. Compassion. People love to see. You know, one thing about Obama, President Obama, respectfully, 
Eight years, he didn't do nothing in eight years, but he was good at doing nothing. Mm-hmm. He made people feel good because he said nothing wrong. Right. <laughs> and, I mean, what do you want? You yeah. want somebody, a yes man, or do you want someone that's going to be in there, congressman, that's going to get things done? Cut the, the Boeing you know, with the, uh, the, the jets for the president. Cut, save $1.6 billion there. $5 billion for the defense initiative for South Korea with North Korea with the missiles coming in to knock it out of the sky. Trump said, well, who's paying for it? The North uh, South Korean, I mean, the, North, the American general tell them we're paying for it. Why are we paying to protect them? Their economy is better. They pay for it. Otherwise, we don't do it. This is just natural. NATO, why are we paying to protect Germany when they get their oil from Russia? I mean, everything he says is common sense. But people can't take that. They want you to be a yes man. Mm-hmm. And in politics, you know, Peter, you're not a yes man. You've taken it like it mm-hmm. is. You've got a strong backing mm-hmm. with your, your district. Everyone loves you there, whether they're Democrat or Republican. I know a lot of Democrats in our district. Mm-hmm. I have a home in your district. Yeah. And I'm going to tell you something. The Democrats, Republicans love you for what you do and what you say because you're not a phony baloney. You're a true person that cares about America. Yeah, I like to think that. And, uh, again, you know, do the best I can. But, again, I think with the president, he could tone it down a bit because uh, he is going to lose some of the votes in the suburbs from people who think he's gone too far. But if you ask them about his policies, they basically agree with him. But, like, for instance, they believe that uh, illegal immigration should be stopped. But don't be talking about raiding every home. And then and he overstates it. His yeah. actual record gets it done. And then to go back on gun control, you know, I carry a gun. And I have a license and all that, former law enforcement. But, I mean, even I, as an ex-law enforcement person, do truly believe we've got to stop the sale of these right. assault rifles. He's got to meet it some way. You know, I, I believe in the Second, Second Amendment. I'm a member of NRA. Every time I talk the way I'm going to talk right now, I get letters. You're a bow. You're nothing right. but a wussy. You know? right. No, I'm not a wussy. What I'm <laughs> all talking about is there's no need for a drum 100-round clip gun to be sold to people on the streets. Fact is that we have to be able to do a a background. We have to utilize the FBI's intelligence organization. If there's any hospitals, there has to be laws passed. If there are people with mental issues, it has to come up on a federal FBI website. Mm -hmm. For 30 days, you have a clearing period to get a damn gun license. What is wrong with that? Number two is, what is wrong with stopping the selling assault rifles? I'm not talking about going into people's homes and taking the ones that have I'm talking about anything for the future. You've got to meet halfway, show people with all these mass shootings. And it's not even the mass shootings. It's what goes on in Chicago. When I was a Fox News mm-hmm. guy for eight, uh, 12 years, I said we had up there when Obama got elected, was now it's up to 6,000 murders of African-Americans in Chicago, the city where Obama came. No one gives a crap about little Letitia sitting on the stoop, shot in the head at seven years old. That little girl, her life is as important as people being gunned down with mass shootings. But no one cares because there's no kind of political influence there. You have Democrats running these damn cities in Detroit, uh, Chicago, Baltimore. And what do we have? We have mass gun things. And you know what? One of my things was, Peter, and you'll know exactly where I'm going with this, we have something in our toolbox. We can use the federal government RICO law, three or more involved in a criminal mm-hmm. enterprise, whether it be <clears> drug <throat> dealing, murder, robberies, or stolen products. You put together an indictment, federal RICO, three or more involved in a criminal enterprise. We could serve them federal warrants. We could search the houses, get the guns at it. We could use the federal statute and clean up those murders with those gangs in Chicago. And we could do it if you really want to. But it's not politically good because, oh, these are only little black children getting shot there. There's no cops involved with that. And, I mean, this this irks me inside my stomach. Yeah, I mean, there's more innocent kids shot every weekend in uh, Chicago. There isn't any mass shooting. I agree with you. It's really uh, 16,000 people are going to be killed. <clears throat> Uh, killed this year uh, with shooting deaths. Half of them, believe it or not, are suicides. Yeah. That's a whole other area there that people don't even talk about. You know, the readily availableness, now we have cops killing themselves in New York, is a plague of it. And people ask me, Bo, what do you think they, why are they killing themselves? I said, because they're so frustrated with the non-support with the department. And number two is the fact that we got a mayor that's an idiot. He's a moron. I named him Big Bird. And if I saw him out in the street, I'd call him an idiot to his face, which I have done many times to his face. And when I ran for Congress, I said, you know something? You know, I've been a detective my whole life. And I know a criminal when I see one, Mr. Mayor. You're a criminal with your pay for play and your corruption. How much money do I have to give you to get something done in this city? 
told to his face on CBS. I believe it. Yeah. Anyway, Let's talk about you yeah. now. Come on. Okay. Now, listen. Uh, you're right, though. First of all, if uh, all this talk about background checks, I support them. 99% of gun owners are going to keep their guns. 99% of people who want to go in and buy a gun will be able to get it. But if you're a criminal or if you have mental illness, you shouldn't have a gun. I don't see why the NRA, that's why I really criticize them, why they make a, such a... Yeah, why are they blocking it so much? And also on the assault weapons. Now, when I put this on Facebook, I'll get the first hundred you comments. You threats against you, right? Oh, oh yeah. Oh, Peter, you're a P-U-S-S-Y, all that crap. Yeah, you sold out. You, you sold out the Second Amendment. You've given in. How we don't sell out no. to the Second Amendment. No. We want something that's real. And majority, Peter, of the people murdered in this country are murdered with illegal guns. Yeah. So it has nothing to do with that. Exactly. And then when these mass shootings occur, you know, it's, a, it's multiples there, and that certainly has to be dealt with. The NRA's got to slow up, take a chill pill. We're not against Second Right Amendments. We just want to control and try to control the murders in the country. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, again, though, the, uh, the onslaught you get when you come out for this, and again, I think the president would be like Nixon going to China. The President Trump come out and said, listen, I support the Second Amendment. Gun owners are terrific people, but you don't need an assault weapon. Mm. That would, first of all, those gun people have to vote for him anyway. There's nobody else, you know, that going to vote for uh, Elizabeth Warren or Joe Biden or any of them. They're going to vote for him anyway, but a lot of suburban type people would say, yeah, this makes sense. Who needs this? You know? I was with the president three weeks ago at uh, Steve Ross's house. He took a lot of crap from that. <laughs> Everyone's dropping out yeah. of the Hudson Yards, uh, Hudson and, Yards and all. So I was at Steve. I didn't pay 250000 I was a guest of my friend who didn't take his wife and took Bo. And I was very happy he took me. And we had all the billionaires, Lauder, Ross, Roth, Whitcall, everybody, all the billionaires right. were there. And the president was there, and he was talking about how he took ISIS out. The general said, well, it's going to take maybe six months. He goes, it's too long. Use those F-16s and <clears throat> bomb the shit out of them. This the president talking. They took, right. all, they took all our cell phones away. <laughs> and he goes, yeah, we bombed them into the ground. They gave up. You know how it is to beat someone into the ground, Bo? And I'm sitting right in front of him. And then he goes, I got to thank you. And this is the first time I learned. When he was running... I went up to Trump Tower. I said, Mr. President, uh, no, Donald at that time. I said, you know, veterans are getting screwed over. I got friends who are veterans. They got to wait three months to go to VA mm-hmm. administration. Why don't you come out with a card for the veterans where they could go to any hospital, any doctor? It's called Veterans Choice. And he says, mm-hmm. the veterans could thank you for that, Bo. The president mentioned that right, for everybody. Right. That was where, where veterans can't get into a certain VA hospitals or wait three months, four months for a CAT scan. Bullshit. They defended our country. They were there serving our country. They should go to any hospital, give the bill to the VA. We're paying for illegal immigrants, medical crap. Why can't we pay for our veterans? And that's the Veterans Choice Card. And I'm Great. very honored. And you know what? When the president said that in front of everybody, uh, who was sitting next to me was Senator Lindsey Graham, and he patted mm-hmm. me on the shoulder. There you go. And he goes, Bo, great move. I <laughs> said, this, I can't believe that this president gave me the credit for that uh, Veterans Choice. And I'm very honored. If I could save one veteran, that was what it was all yeah, about. Yeah, I was down at the White House when he signed the bill. It was really a very emotional moment. It was he didn't really mention great. me then, did he? Uh, he didn't have to mention you, Bo. <laughs> everybody knows about Bo Deedle. Uh, no, listen, uh, I mean, all these things you're saying, most part, you, know, uh, uh, you and I agree on most issues. But again, when you're talking about the murders in Chicago, now murders went down dramatically in New York under Giuliani and under Bloomberg. Gangs. Yeah, gangs. And there was tough policing that went on, which you have to be. Mm-hmm. You can't be a nice guy. You can be fair and honest. Mm-hmm. You don't have to be a nice guy. You're dealing with bad people. Bad yeah. people. Yeah. And I think uh, what happened in Chicago and Baltimore, uh, Detroit, it's been a disgrace. Absolute, and the people that get hurt are not the white guy. It's the African-American kids. Black-on-black crime. Yeah. And these hey. poor kids, and you have so the overwhelming majority of good people in those uh, communities are being held hostage by these gangsters. And it's, uh, again, I give Rudy credit. I think uh, Bratton, Ray Kelly did a great job coming in the way they And I'll been. tell you right now, you know, <laughs> someone contacted me from the entertainment business with this Garth Brooks and a lot of the entertainers. They want to do a big press on gun control. They said, Bo, how do you feel about it? I said, I'll come out public. I mean, look, at I got nothing to hide. Mm-hmm. And I'll, I, I mean, there's a moderate way of talking right. about it. And they said, you think you could get law enforcement? I said, I'll get, I'll guarantee I'll get Brat and I'll get uh, 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 Ray Kelly. Kelly yeah. They believe the same way we <clears throat> believe. There's no cop out there that is not for, for gun control. Right. Because they want to make sure that people with guns are people that have proper background checks. And they don't want to come facing an AR, uh, AR-15 automatic with a 100-round clip. We don't need cops to face that kind of stuff. Yeah, several years ago when uh, uh, Ray was the commissioner, he came to me and he asked me to put a bill in which saying if you're on the terrorist watch list, you can't get a gun. Why not? 
I can only get four Republicans to co-sponsor it. And it's gone nowhere. It's never passed the House of Representatives. Because, oh, again, the gun groups say, well, they could uh, you know, put all their enemies on the uh, terrorist watch list and seize their guns. First of all, if you're on it and it's improper, you get your name taken right. off. There's a whole procedure to get your right. name taken off. No, they're scare tactics. To me, it would make so much sense. If you're a mental patient or a criminal, you shouldn't get a gun. You don't need an assault weapon. And if you're on the terrorist watch list, you can't fly, but you can go out and buy a gun. You could, take, you could take what happened in Florida with the mass shooting down there. For example, this guy had all the records of the mental illness. It was reported to the local. It has to be a 30-day. We have to utilize the FBI on these background right. checks. We have to have database. We have all the technology in the world. If there is an inference, you can make it report and then get all that data together. This way they plug a guy's name in there. Oh, he had three reports of this. He was on the computers saying this. There has to be the mental illness aspect of these mass shooters all come into play. They're mentally ill, and they show signs prior, mm -hmm. whether it be on the Internet or whether it be other people. People say, wow, we got a problem where a person could pick up the phone and say, look, uh, I want to make a report. This guy's been talking about shooting up the school. We've got to deal with it. And someone has mm -hmm. to deal with it. But it was lost in the system. FBI was notified on that kid in Florida. Yeah, I know. They didn't know. do shit with yeah. it. My point is that's what we have to improve. The technology is there, Pete. And I mean, some uh, of the other issues, very important. Sorry. I want you to talk to us about other issues you're involved with, with the intelligence that you can speak to us about, because you're still on the intelligence. Well, just really, really quickly before we move on, um, you know, we we're talking about the bipartisan gun control yeah. bill, which was passed several months ago. In the House, yeah. And, uh, you know, since then, there's been several more mass shootings. Right. Why do you think there's so much intransigence and in bring that to a vote in the Senate? Partly because the NRA and gun groups are very active in the districts. The money is not a big factor. It's the fact that they have tremendous mailing lists and that in many of these, uh, especially these uh, red state uh, seats where the Republicans are, the NRA has come out against it. And what they say is this is the first step to take away. Everybody's gone. They use the scare tactics. And Mitch McConnell feels he doesn't want to bring it up with an election year coming because it could hurt Republicans in primaries, hurt them in the general election. But again, you're talking about... Like, for instance, with background checks, 90% of the country supports them. So you're talking about a tiny percentage, which people are afraid of in a primary. That's why they're not doing it. It's really, I'm not to oversimplify, but and that's And a lot it. of Republicans are not running. Look at Texas. The eight Republican congressmen, Republicans, are not running for re-election. That's bad. We might lose more seats in the Congress if this continues that way, and that could be one of the issues. Actually, it's up to 13 now. 13 more of, you know, seats out, that yeah. we have. Yeah. We can't afford to lose. We're supposed to take it over. Yeah. No, so that's basically it. It's, it's, it's hard to explain unless you're there. But, again, other parts of the country, they think a gun is a sacred right. So any, any restriction you put, even if it's a, a sensible restriction, they're against it. They say nobody has a right to say anything about my gun. My gun is absolute. God and guns, they say. Well, to me, I don't agree with that. And no, I, I don't and I'm, either. No. I'm armed now. I always carry a gun. And you know why? I carry a gun so if I have to get involved with something, I can take an action and protect somebody. Yeah. The cop mentality is still <laughs> in my mind. If I mm -hmm. see someone who's being victimized, I certainly will get involved. And a lot of the retired cops are there. And you have a mass police force out there with retired right. guys that have taken action. And God bless them and the ones that take the action. But as far as that goes, that's a really serious issue. When I was with the president, when I had to take a picture with him, you know, they let you take a picture right. with him, I said, Mr. President, gun control, please, assault rifles. He goes, Bo, we're working on it. That's what he said to me in my ear. I just hope to God that he's doing it and he's not saving it. You know, sometimes they choreograph the issues to come out with a big blast because we know one thing about elections, momentum. Yeah. You gotta have yeah. the momentum. You don't. You want to keep your ammunition dry to the end. Then you blow them out. So if we got pictures of Biden falling down. You save it to the end when he falls down. That's all. <laughs> now, yes, you for other issues. One issue right now is the weak field of Democratic candidates. I mean, they're uh, so whatever you know criticism that you or I may make of President Trump. You compare mm -hmm. his record to any of these others. He's in good shape. Uh, very good shape as far as they're concerned. I mean, uh, Joe Biden's a nice guy, but he seems to have really lost a step yeah. on this. And then you have, I mean, uh, Elizabeth Warren. You have, I mean, you get down the, you know, the, the whole list. The job from the Ben and Jerry's <laughs> ice cream up there, Vermont. Bernie Sanders. Bernie Sanders. Yeah. yeah. Now, yeah. what? Yeah. Well, my big thing, and then the big question I ask: Look, I like Michael Bloomberg. Michael Bloomberg honestly would make a great president, as mm -hmm. far as I'm concerned. Right. He was probably our best mayor. I love Rudy Giuliani. He's my best friend. Mm -hmm. We may play golf this weekend. I love Rudy Giuliani. 
Mayor Bloomberg did a great job. Also. He did. Yeah, we got spoiled. We had 20 years of great mayors. Great mayors. We had eight of Rudy and 12 of Mike. That was yeah, great. Yeah, and I mean, mayor. we had a great city. Right. City ran like a top. Then he brings in this Mexican jumping bean. I can't say that. I'm sorry. I apologize already. This fellow from Mexican as the head of the Board of Education. And he comes right out and says, white teachers need not apply. You will not get advanced. It's going to be brown and black. How do you make remarks on reverse discrimination like that? My daughter's a school teacher in New York City. And if, if you're white, you ain't right. And you cannot do that. That's a reverse discrimination as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, and this whole idea of uh, taking the elite schools, elite means for the smart, really smart right. kids. You want to have them there for the smartest kids. That brings up everybody. And it's an incentive to be bringing everybody hey, down to one level. that the no Asian sense. kid yeah. that works in his mother right. and father's Chinese restaurant <laughs> exactly. on a bicycle delivering Chinese food and studying his ass off, all of a sudden advances and he studies instead of he's not on a boob tube and he's advancing himself for his family and all. Why should we take that away from kids that study hard? And you want to know something? There's a lot of African-American kids Absolutely. that study real hard, go to Harvard and become successful. It's out there for everyone. Success, hard work equals success in this story. Yeah, and again, you should have something out there as a goal. And to be taking these schools away or to be dumbing them down hurts everybody. I mean, for any group to get to get ahead, whether it's the Irish, it's Hyans, whatever, when you have the elite in your group move up, everybody moves up with them. So to me, if you start saying there's not going to be elite schools, that prevents people in the uh, poorer communities from having a great school to go to. Yeah, I, I mean, look at like Brooklyn Tech when we grew up. We yeah. had Brooklyn Tech, Stuyvesant. Stuyvesant These right. are schools that, look at, I was not a, a good student, but yet, you know, that was not my, I couldn't afford to go to college. I worked, I grew up with all the gangsters, we all know, right. Gotti and Scopos and all, and I became a, a slave. I call it slavery, labor, concrete labor. It was a slave. All you do is work your ass off, get home at 3, 30, 4 o'clock. Right. You fall out because you were so tired. And uh, then I became an iron worker on the World Trade Center. I worked as a, on a permit. I was up there in the World Trade Center, and I worked hard. But all I wanted to do was go to college. Springfield College is what I wanted to go. I wanted to be a gym teacher. I was a national champion and all that. My marks sucked. I couldn't go. I couldn't afford it. So I, I worked my butt off. And I have a high school education. I wish I had a college education, but I don't. But I have a, a, a doctorate of the streets. Right. You certainly have that. And, and obviously, you had a great job as a cop. One tough cop. No oh, doubt I, about I it. I worked hard. And you know what it was? <clears throat> Everyone said, oh, Bo, how'd you do this? How'd you break all these kids? I said, you know what it is? It's just hard work. It's this pit bull integrity that I had where when my partner Tom Collin, God rest his soul, he died. And I'll never forget one of the most, it was labeled by Ed May Ed Koch, the most heinous crime in New York history. Two creeps broke into a convent on 116th Street, Our Lady Mount Carmel, 1981. There was a Catholic nun that was up there and they beat her. They raped, sodomized her. They put brooms into her. They carved 27 crosses. Mm -hmm. They urinated, threw downstairs, left her for dead. 200 detectives were assigned. I had nothing to do with it. Tommy was at that point was having problems with drinking and they, and they were, he had tickets against him and they were going to take his detective shield away. All of a sudden I come up with an idea. Everyone's coming to me. I go to Rayo's. I go to the Adam's Apple with Felix and they go, Bo, that's your area. What are you doing? So I told her the captain fortune on it. Give me three days to work on it. I get Tommy. I said, well, we're breaking this case. We had nothing. Peter. Just little hints, this, that. We went out. We tossed every pimp, every, every drug dealer, hang them up, put guys' heads in toilet bowls. I admit it today. I didn't kill nobody and 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 then we got the information we got one in chicago one in new york and we got the right guys mm -hmm. that raped and sodomized that not yeah. if you offered me a million dollars you 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 could never offer me anything for mm -hmm. the feeling that i had when, when tommy and i mm -hmm. broke that case and this is just hard work this is what it's all about yep. and now today any cops that are out there who are working hard getting you know going after criminals they're going to be taken apart i had 40 civilian complaints peter 40. Never founded one. One guy, his jaw got broken when he said something about my mother. I, I blacked out. I was up for three days. I don't remember right hooking him, but I did get my right hook. Mm -hmm. He said something about my mom. I was up for three days, and he sued me for $40 million, never got a penny. Today, he would, I'd be in jail. He'd, hey, he'd get the $40 million, right. and that's it. So every cop out there today is walking around, and they don't want to get involved in doing their job because they don't want to get in trouble. Look at Pantolino. This poor kid yeah. went out there, and he was called 
on a police report of a guy who the the people who own stores. They said, look, we're paying rent. This guy's so now they go, look, you, you got to come in. He's been arrested before. We're not taking me. So what are you supposed to do? Let the guy walk away? So he went and that headlock that he did right. dozens of times. I told Stuart London, the lawyer for Pantolino, I'll get five big black guys, six foot six. I'll bring them down one by one in a headlock. As long as they don't have heart conditions, they ain't going to die because I've done it. I'm a little guy. Five eight. I had to be to come on the force. I grab in a headlock. You bring them to the ground. That's what you do. This kid had no in his mind, never, ever no. imagined that this young man and my feelings go out to the family. I don't want to see anybody die with Mr. Gardner. But the problem here is you can't effectively Make that officer guilty of his death. I talked to Michael Bodden, the medical examiner. Mm -hmm. He said he died of a heart attack. Right. What it was was when you have asthma, it closes up. And if you have a bad heart, his sister, 27, died of a heart attack. Dead. God, no. So, I mean, that's, what, that's how he died. But to blame that cop for that, it's a terrible, tragic incident that occurred. But to say that that cop was responsible. And then when I read about O'Neill... My friend O'Neill over here, the police commissioner. Now, Ben Tucker, I came on, on the force with. People don't know who he is. He's the black guy that stands there all the time that doesn't say nothing. He's the first deputy commissioner. Came in the academy, great guy. Has a house near me in the Hampton. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful guy. But he was called in by the mayor. Are you ready to be the commissioner? Prior to O'Neill's coming out with his report. And I actually was on ABC radio. And I said on the rear, Commissioner O'Neill, I'll make you the president of my company tomorrow. If you find your balls and don't fire Pantolano. And if that mayor fires you, I'll make you the president of my company. I put it out there just like that. I meant it. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, I guess, <clears throat> I guess the mayor said to him, if you uh, don't fire him, go look for another job. And he kind of cracked. You know what I would have done? I would have said, you know what, Mr. Mayor? Fire me. And I would have told him mm -hmm. when Sharpton was sitting there with Bratton, if oh, I was yeah. Bratton, they had Brad Sharpton there, Mayor Big Bird and Bratton, and all of a sudden Sharpton is sitting there at the news conference telling Bratton, uh, well, you know, you're going to conform. But this is a tax-evading punk, racist, uh, racial uh, uh, a person that starts trouble. He comes out of the woodwork like a rat out of the sewer whenever there's an incident, and he, he thrives upon instability of the racial, uh, you know, with people. And all of a sudden, if I was up for the commissioner, I would have been like this. I tell you what, Mayor, make him your police commissioner. I'm not going to listen to this guy. That's the difference. Yeah, and again, I mean, Shopton, this guy has so much influence, he should have no influence at all. It's yeah. absolutely zero. And as far as Pentaleo, I think he had a terrible deal. Listen, I, 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 I know Commissioner O'Neill. I, I just wish he'd gone the other way, and he should have, because for Pentaleo, first of all, there was nothing racial about that. It, nothing. Was, it was minority business owners went to banks. It was a chief who was African-American. Yeah. And banks called into Staten Island and said, get that guy off the street. And uh, they knew this guy had been arrested 29 times before, whatever it was. He knew the game. He was almost 400 pounds. They spoke to him for about 10, 15 minutes, tried to talk him into it. He wouldn't go. Then they went to take him down. There was this, uh, a uh, large window. Uh, yeah, the man should be through the cop through the yeah. window. And so he, back, he brought him down. I think the chokehold, if you want to call it Headlock. That, it's not a chokehold. Chokehold is when you crush the larynx like they got right. Baez in the right. Bronx. Right. That was a, yeah. a chokehold. So even if you wanted to call it that, it was like three or four seconds. And he let go. And also, him saying you can't breathe. Yeah, how could you talk if you, you were strangled to death? Yeah, if you can't breathe, you can't. And so then people were saying, why didn't he ease up on it? So every time you lock a guy up, he says, my arm is killing me. You're breaking my neck. You're breaking my arm. The cop's going to let him go. No, he went down, and he went down the ground. Nobody used any racial yeah, terms. And you had the, Nobody took a cheap shot out of it. Yeah, the EMS there. workers did. Yeah. They should have said, oh, you were an asthmatic? They could have maybe gave him an yeah. inhaler. It would have yeah. opened his lungs up. Yeah. That's another point that they were there. The emergency service people were there. The medical, emer medical emergency people. Nobody, nobody dealt with it. So, and then Pantolino suffers. The thing that I killed kills me. And I talked to Stuart London. I said he should put his papers in, and for retirement on because he's getting death threats against his family, against him. He can't be a cop anymore. Put the papers in before he gets fired. He at least would have gotten his pension. Now he's got no pension. I'd love to hire him, but the only problem is oh, oh my, all my all the security you got people be ending their contracts with me. I can't hire him. I say the PBA, Mr. Lynch, should hire him to work for the PBA. Give him a damn job, right? Sounds good to me. I mean, well, again, he got a rotten deal. There's no doubt about it. And again, f even forgetting Pantaleo for a second, yeah. what impact is he going to have on the average street cop? They're not getting involved. Right. Or let's say a guy's 18 or 19 years on the job. 
Is he going to risk everything because some guy's got a camera and you know, take no, it out of No, he's going to let yeah. he's going to let the gangbanger with the gun go, maybe to kill somebody else, mm-hmm. and that they're not doing efficient police work anymore. Right now, I talk to cops every day. Everywhere I go, they blow their sirens. They pull me over. Bo, keep on going. You're my, you're our spokesman because I'm not afraid of nobody or nothing. I don't care. Mm-hmm. They came at me from IRS, New York State tax. They come after me everywhere. I'm not afraid. You know what? I pay my damn taxes, and I'm not afraid of anybody, no human being. But my point is these poor cops are out there, and they say, Bo, we're not getting involved, man. We're not doing nothing because we don't want to lose our pensions. Is that what you want out there protected? And then all of a sudden the community is going to start getting mad. Well, they're not doing nothing. Well, because when they do something, you're out there demonstrating right. against them. Yeah. Yeah, can't have it both ways. Right. And again, when you have murders going from over 2,000 down to 200 from yeah. the days before Giuliani, yeah. I mean, it's, it just shows. They have all the people that are alive today because of what the cops did. And I love when the yeah. mayor, Mayor Big Bird, mm-hmm. <laughs> says, we did this. We No, Mr. Mayor, you are not a we. You couldn't shine the, sh- I can't curse, but you couldn't shine the dog doo-doo underneath the cop's heel of his shoe. You're a piece of garbage. You should get going, retire ready. And I still want to know where the $900 million that your wife was in control for mental issues, Operation Thrive, who's thriving on that? I want to know where that money went. That's another issue. No, there's a lot of issues out there. And again, uh, I think the city is is definitely going to go in the wrong direction. Oh, it's going to blow up. Yeah. All right, pulling back from the local issues, another issue that we talk about frequently on the podcast is uh, cybersecurity and the potential cyber warfare from uh, foreign actors. Uh, you know, being your uh, membership on the, the House Commi- Intelligence Committee, um, what are your thoughts on, on our vulnerabilities, uh, you know, either attack on the electrical grid on our uh, Yeah, actually, systems. I was term limited off the Intelligence Committee a few months ago. I was on really long than anybody else. So I have no problem with that. But I still have access to a lot mm-hmm. of this. I went through a lot of briefings on it. I wish I understood it all. This is so complicated, this whole cybersecurity. We know we are. I wish I had the numbers in front of me of how many times China, for instance, tries to hack into us every day, into the government, into the Pentagon, into the State Department, Iran, how many times they try to do it. We have good defenses up, but the fact is all they have to do is get in once or twice. And fortunately, so far... We can do more to them than they can do to us, but there's a constant, constant God, and that's why a lot of companies in the private sector don't realize how vulnerable they can be. I'm talking about banks, I'm talking about mm-hmm. uh, investment bankers, mm-hmm. and uh, all, but even with all of that, the state at the uh, federal level, all of the personnel records have been taken over the years, social security records have been taken, so th- this could be the future warfare right now. Yeah, they don't yeah. have to throw one shot. You know, who do we have on the show for that FBI agent? He was that- uh, Eric O'Neill. Eric O'Neill mm. was the FBI that set up the supervising end to, to spy with Russia. What was his name? Uh, Hanson, Robert Hanson. Right, we did oh, the yeah. whole thing, how he caught him and all. But people don't realize that you just could look as far as our F-35. Look at our F-35, our top jet. Look at China's top jet. Look at our, our top military stuff. Look at China's. They've breached us on every they've they've breached into our intelligence on every piece of warfare. They have actual satellites. That could shoot our satellites out of the sky now. Mm-hmm. My problem with that is in the military, if you take our GPS away, you could go sit in that F-35 right. until the, until the roosts come home. You ain't going to fly it without GPS. So if they not, I, I'm scared because I'm in the cyber security business, mm-hmm. and I've been in ancillary on that. I'm not a technical guy, mm-hmm. but I know when things work and when things don't work. We have a, a, a keystroke encryption where on your iPhones right. or your computers, it encrypts Every time you keystroke, so that means even if you get breached, they can't read what, what you're doing, which is just another layer of security. It's not a silver bullet. It's many layers of things. My thing is, if I was the president of the United States, that would be my most important thing is cybersecurity, utilizing the public sector's brains with Stanford, all these brains, and make a, 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 a national, forget about space army that the president said, mm. that's secondary. Cyber security right. army, to me, is the most vulnerable, most important to us. It could hit our election again. It could hit our, our energy grid, our military. To me, that is of the future. I'm scared of cyber attack more than missile attack. Mm. Yeah, and again, it's a different sized country, but when Russia attacked the country of Georgia several years ago, mm. Georgia had a very effective air defense system 
with one step, whatever the Russians did, they knocked out the entire air defense system. It was down, and the Russians just come in and had four. Like, like what we did with, uh, with Iraq, Iraq, when we took out the whole when we had the Gulf War, yeah. we took out the whole defense right. system in about a matter of seconds. And you know, you know that I've been to Beijing, China. I have an office over there. Put it this way, El Comunisto. Yeah. People walk around in their Beijing there, smog. Traffic, food sucks, women have no butts, and they walk around here like night of the living dead. Peter, nobody's smiling. Mm -hmm. They walk around like soldiers like this all around Beijing, China. Millions of people, and all they're focused on is one thing, is to advance China, advance China. And if you read some of their scriptures, it's all about taking over the world, mm -hmm. little by little. And the way they're going to take it over is through technology. Scary. Does it scare you, Peter? You yeah, no, China, I mean, China is uh, our number one threat right now. I mean, Russia's there. Russia well, Putin, can be I can arm wrestle him. Yeah. Putin, I think Putin, give him a couple of vodkas, give him some porno movies. We could deal with him. China's the one, is our biggest well, threat. Look at what's going with Hong Kong. I mean, they're cracking down brutally. Oh, Hong Kong's going down. Did you yeah. see they had about 500 uh, military vehicles in the stadiums there? Did you see that, Peter? I didn't see that. No, but yeah. I know they are definitely cracking down. Also, China is everywhere economically. They're in Germany. They're in Central America. They're in South America. Mm -hmm. And they're in Africa. I mean, they are putting their investments everywhere, which gives them the economic power. Plus, they're building these islands in the Pacific to yeah. expand. No, they are. Oh, no, and they're going to take the next stop after Hong Kong will be Taiwan. Taiwan. And you know what America's going to, if Trump's there, he ain't going to stand for it. But if they get one of these wussy pussies, then what's going to happen? They're going to go, oh, you shouldn't do that, China. You shouldn't have taken over Hong Kong. Excuse me, Taiwan, what's next? Hawaii? You know what? It's scary. But these are issues that you being on the Intelligence Commission Committee have dealt with a lot, even with Homeland Security. Yeah. When you were the Homeland Security yeah. chief, you had to deal with the cybersecurity threat, right? Cybersecurity, definitely. And also then we had the threat, which has been somewhat under control, is that you had people in the Muslim community who are not cooperating with the police. Mm -hmm. That seems to have turned around quite a bit, but that was a real issue, including here in New York for a number of years. And, but no, cybersecurity, no, it's out there. That is a major issue, major, major issue. And Homeland Security is probably in the forefront here. And also, as far as the elections, they are working very closely with the state governments to keep the Russians and others from penetrating our election system. Well, whether you like Muslims or not, and to me, great Muslim families are out yeah, there. Yeah, absolutely. The fact is that under the Quran, I just was in Dubai two weeks ago. And the, the scary part about it is the multiples of the families there. Everywhere you go, you have one guy with three women following him, with they only have their, where they can see their eyes coming through, with about 10 kids in back of them. I mean, the multiplization of the Muslim community is going to be half of the world by 2050. So reality is we got to pray that moderates of the Muslim com uh, communities take effect for the family values and not for the value. Because if you read the Quran, it's no, you can't get along. Wipe out, take them out, and that's the bad part. But if you read the Bible, too, we did some nasty things in the Bible, too, and even uh, in all religions. Right. But times have changed. We have to change with times. Because whatever, rel what's religion all about? Religion's for poor people. Poor people for religion because they have nothing. They pray and that things get better. And I, I mean it. We have to have the moderate. We have to have the moderate Muslims that are going to be able to uh, to influence the communities because whether we like it or not, they're going to be a major effect uh, in our future. Yeah, and the overwhelming majority of Muslims are outstanding people. You go to a community which has been, uh, in fact, dominated by uh, Muslims. You have very little crime, very little drug pushing, yep. very little assault on the street. But there are certain people in that community, just like the Italians yeah. have the mafia, the Irish yeah. have the Westies, the people, and it's important for the good people in the community to let the cops know who they are. One more thing, because we, we, we're winding down, but did you know, you ever hear the IRA? Sure. You're young, but did you ever hear the IRA? Yeah. <laughs> He's one of the guys that was involved in making peace in Ireland. Tell and us actually, a little bit about it. Come yeah, on, actually, I give... Uh, you know, Bill Clinton, a lot of the credit for that. That was going on for years over there. and Some of your drinking buddies, too. Come on. Oh, yeah, no, I know. No, no, so. But anyway, basically, Bill Clinton got the United States involved. And uh, England was our close ally. We have great friendship with Ireland. But nobody wanted to take the first step. And Bill Clinton got the IRA to call a ceasefire. He had more to do with that than anybody else. And then they got other groups to call ceasefires. And basically, President Clinton told the Brits and told the Irish government and told the IRA and others that we would guarantee an agreement, that we wouldn't let the other side. The IRA felt if they put down their weapons, the Brits are going to come in and kill them. The British felt if they dealt with the IRA, the IRA Yeah, would but you were negotiating for the president. 
Yeah, no, I, no, no, I did a lot of that with the president. Yeah, I was an emissary to people like Jerry Adams and others over yeah. the years. Yeah. No, we had some interesting meetings. My wife remembers one in uh, Belfast where I snuck into a men's room. Nobody knew Adams was there, and he was giving me messages to bring back to Bill Clinton. Yeah, that was interesting yeah. stuff, yeah. Wow. You think he's just a congressman. Yeah. He's a peacemaker, too. Do you think that uh, all the things going on with Brexit would maybe reignite any of these tensions? Yeah, Brexit is a real threat to Northern Ireland, because it, not just to Northern Ireland, but to the peace process, because... Of course, the Good Friday Agreement, there's no border now between Northern Ireland and Ireland. I mean, technically, the two separate areas, but there's no border. You go right down. You have no idea when you're going from one country to the other. And so you have people in Belfast who have never been to Dublin, people in Dublin have never been to Belfast. Now they go back and forth. It's like one country. If Brexit, uh, if the Brits pull out of the uh, European Union, that border will have to go back up wow. for customs purposes. But in the eyes of the Irish people, that's a British border so, going so that back could, up. So that could be like a scab Absolutely, yes. Yeah. So we've been Ooh, working, working on that. we got to realize And it's not just an Irish issue. I mean, the United States guaranteed that agreement, the Good Friday Agreement. How do you so, like this uh, Trump lookalike that just became the prime minister with the blonde Boris hair? Boris Johnson. With, oh, what's his name? Boris Johnson. Boris Johnson, How do you yeah. like him? Actually, I met him at Mike Bloomberg's house one night when he was mayor of London. He's a character. I mean, give him a chance to get it done, but he's got to realize that there's consequences. And yeah. He had no idea this was even going to affect Ireland, or the Good Friday Agreement. And the last thing Britain needs is another war in its own country, oh. which is the way it was in the past. So, Also, let me just say this for the record. I have to admit this. It's a confession I have to make. My father trained Bo in the police academy many years ago. Number so one physical guy in the wow. academy. Yeah, so there you go. Yeah, well, let me tell you something. Back then, that was what I was saying. When I wanted to go to college, I, we had a physical fitness team, five guys. We competed on national level. We were number one in the nation. I was number one individual. I used to do 180, pull, 180 push-ups, 40 pull-ups, good ones, and we used to do this four hours a day. So when I went into the police academy, his pop was there and all the instructors were there, Gote and all them guys, and they were betting how many push-ups I could do and pull-ups <laughs> I could do. And it was just like, just tell me how many you want me to do it, I won't stop. And his dad... Uh, his dad was a great – all the guys in the academy loved Bowman because, you know what it was? It was just they never saw anything like mm-hmm. and they didn't realize I was cheating a little bit. How I no, was I don't believe with, that. I don't believe no, that. No, cheating in the fact that I did it four hours a day for four years in high school. Okay. So, I mean, cheating I had more right. than anybody ever had was four hours a day with Tom Tunnell – Tommy Tunnell, uh, Tom Connolly was my gym teacher. We used to go to Salisbury Park on, on, on Thanksgiving Day before we'd eat our turkey, and we'd be doing push-ups and pull-ups in the park. And I would tell my, my mom, I, 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 I got to go meet Tommy Connolly, and we're going to work out for three hours before right. we had Thanksgiving dinner. That's what I'm talking about. You know, if you believe in something and you work hard, then that's why you become successful. So when I was on the street, you know, I never killed nobody when I was a cop. I got shot at from here to there. Guy shoots at me five times, draws a gun down. You got me, Bo. I said, you didn't get, get you. You're going to get yours. <laughs> My point was never ever. I stabbed or yeah. cracked on the head, baseball bats, fractured skull, everything. Never did I kill anybody. Always depended on my physical strength. And if I didn't have that physical strength, I would be gone a long time ago. One regret I had, Peter. Yeah. Service. When I was 17, I went to Floyd Bennett Field. I wanted to become a Marine. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, I took this stupid cop test, and then they put a 2A deferment. Then I went on a lottery. And to this day, I feel as though I have that void of not being a service person mm-hmm. because I think it's a great thing for every young man to go into the service. You gain respect, responsibility, honor, and that's a very important thing because these kids today are so wavering with mommy, and I'm the, I'm guilty, and mommy and daddy give you everything. Mommy and daddy right. give you a new car. Mommy, they don't know what the work ethic is to work hard, and that's the problem today in today's youth. And this thing, this thing, these iPhones are the ruination of our youth. Today, you look everywhere. Go to a restaurant. Yeah, yeah. Restaurant, two couples are having dinner, and they're looking at the freaking iPhones. These are the ruination of our youth. This is the ruination. I was at the Yankee game last night, so a judge popped that home, and I had my little grandson, Jackson, there with Jacqueline, my daughter. Mm-hmm. What a great game last night. They kicked some butt like always, and the Yankees are winners. Well, Peter, Congressman King. Yes, sir. I, I want to thank you so much. It's thank you, really, It's a true honor for you to come on my podcast. And, uh, you know, if there's anything, Carlo, take it away. All right. So every week we do something called Punk of the Week. Where you can, it can be a person, it could be an idea, it could be a thing, just something that's bothering you. And we uh, go around and we share what's the What's your of the punk week. issue, a person, a thing that's bothering you this week the most? You asking me? Yeah. I would say the fact that uh, 
Uh, nothing's getting done in Congress. And we can solve or at least resolve many of these issues and nothing's being done. The other one is, is uh, I would say to you that when every time is, uh, a, a cop gets involved, the cop is always wrong if you believe the media. That drives me crazy. Mm. Yeah, what about you? Uh, I'm just, my punk of the week is summer's over. Now it's fall. It's Stop being such a fruitcake, all right, please? Summer's over. But with summer over comes the leaves of fall, the cool breeze, and then you get the nip on your nose with the frost, you get winter. Otherwise, move down to friggin' Florida with those other gingos down there. Sweat, humidity. Okay. Let me add one other thing. I'm still haven't gotten over the fact that the Mets blew a six-run lead in the ninth inning the other night. <laughs> I really haven't. That's killing me. That was a killer. But my, my punk of the week to follow yeah. up with is one thing. The punks of the week are your constituents, Congress people, Republican, and the senators who were Republicans when Trump had the bolt houses. Why the hell didn't we get stuff done? Mm-hmm. That's my punk of the week. Those congressmen who were Republicans, we had it all for two uh-huh. years. Why didn't we get a lot of things done? That's my punk. Good question. It is a really good question because all we do is talk about what could have. We had it all. Now we got to pray to God. We hold on to the Senate and we really got to pray to God. We hold on to President Trump and God bless President Trump because we need you because the alternative is going to be this country will go into a toilet bowl. And thank you again, Peter. Oh, thank you. Board. Good hey, man, you have a need? Thank you. Carlo, All right. put him on a list. Thank you very much for Congressman King for being here. Where can people find you? Where can uh, they reach out to you? Oh, my office is in uh, Mespeaker Park. It's on uh, Park Boulevard, and it's 516-541-4225. That's the number. And right. they answer the phone over there. And you have a social media, anything like that you'd like to plug? Yeah, it's uh, uh, PeteKing02 at gmail.com. All right, great. Okay, so thank you very much again for Congressman King for being here. We're on social media. You can find us at One Tough Podcast on Twitter. Bo is at Bo Deedle on Twitter and at The Real Bo Deedle on Instagram. Subscribe to our show. Give us a great rating. Tell your friends. We appreciate our fans. You can find the show wherever you get podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, all other services. And you can also go to OG Podcast on Twitter to get the latest. You can email all your questions to OneToughPodcast at gmail.com. We answer any fan questions, guest suggestions, things like that. Uh, We thank you very much for listening, and we'll see you next week. One more thing. September 27th, the movie, The Irishman's coming out. Yeah, yeah. You're in it, right? Yeah. Not in it. You and De Niro. And And Pacino. Yeah. And I'm their boss. And I say to De Niro, there's only one. I curse a little bit in the movie. No, no. There's only one. Put it this way. I'm like the, the boss, Wolf of Wall Street. Okay. I'm the boss of, uh, of Pacino and De Niro. Pacino plays Hoffa. It's a very entertaining movie. We had Nick Pelleggi on here. That was one of the screenwriters mm. with and Scorsese. But it's going to be a great entertaining movie. Like I say to people, very factual and very, you know what they do? They blend interesting things mm-hmm. together. Like The Godfather. You know, it was Profaci with yeah. the olive oil. It wasn't Corleone. But the, it all works. As long as you get entertained. That's what it's all about. September 27th, The Irishman, big movie. All right. Thank you. Thank you, Congressman. Thank you. This is Greg Kelly for Priority Gold. What does it mean to be America's precious metals dealer? It means that you're in touch with the hearts and minds of those who love this country, value our freedom, and want to protect the future. Priority Gold is that precious metals dealer. They've helped thousands of Americans back their retirement with solid gold and silver. Call Priority Gold at 888-506-6439. Receive free shipping, free storage, a free investment guide, and one of the best purchase experiences in the industry. Call now or go to PriorityGold.com.